Father, we thank you so much for this morning, another morning, Lord, where we can come and open our hearts and reach out to you, Lord. We thank you that where two or three are gathered together in your name, Lord Jesus, you promise to be there in our midst. So, Lord, help us to receive from you today the healing that we need, the forgiveness that we need, the help that we need, the power that we need. Lord, you have all that we need in abundance. Give us the faith, Lord, to reach out and receive what we need from you today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's great to see you this morning. It's good to be back, let me tell you. I had a little surgery last week, and I appreciate all of your prayers and your uh, expressions of uh, concern. Uh, it was very much appreciated, and I want to thank you so much for it. And thanks uh, for just praying for me. I, I appreciate that very, very much. Also wanted to uh, thank those who participated in the work day two weeks ago. You guys, thank you so much. The place looks so beautiful. You know, I was gone for a few days, and I came back, and we got little pansies all over the place, and everything's cleaned up, and it just looks real nice around here, and I really appreciate you guys spreading pine straw and all kinds of things that you did. Thank you so much. And James, did you mention anything about the voter guides this morning? Yeah, we've got voter guides in your announcement sheet. These things are really neat. You just spread these, this out like this. You read what the Bible says on one side. You read what the candidates support on the other side. And it just gets real simple. <laughs> Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Hey, even though the Atlanta Braves got knocked out of the baseball series by the Houston Astros, I have nevertheless really enjoyed baseball this fall. What about the Boston Red Sox? Winning four straight games to knock out the evil empire, the New York Yankees. And the Cardinals, they also played spectacularly. You know, October is a great time for baseball. And in light of baseball's postseason, I brought with me this morning a list entitled Baseball's Ten Commandments. Apparently it was composed by a young boy, probably a little eager. Here's baseball's top ten. Number one, honor thy umpire. Number two, thou shalt not use thy coach's name in vain. Number three, thou shalt not commit errors. Number four, keep thy uniform holy. <laughs> Number five, thou shalt not argue with the umpire's call. Okay, we've all broken that one. Number six, thou shalt not throw thy equipment in anger. Number seven, thou shalt never get caught stealing. <laughs> Number eight, thou shalt not drop easy fly balls. Number nine, thou shalt not miss cutoffs. And number 10, thou shalt never take a third strike. Well, this fall, we are studying the Ten Commandments. Obviously not baseball's Ten Commandments, but a much more important list. The list we have here from verse 1 through verse 17 of Exodus chapter 20, God's top ten, His Ten Commandments. God has provided us ten non-negotiables. You know, guys, sometimes life can be a bear. It can become overwhelming. 
You grab the tiger by the tail and then you can't let go. I've heard it put this way. Life is like wrestling a gorilla. You don't rest when you get tired. You rest when the gorilla gets tired. Life can get confusing and exhausting and taxing and bewildering. But God is the author of life. And though sin has complicated what God intended, nevertheless, God still knows how life can best be navigated. And God understands that there are certain issues that we need to decide on in advance. Convictions that need to form, that we should settle in our minds and hearts beforehand. This is what the Ten Commandments are all about. Exodus 20 provides us ten anchors to tie off to when the storms of life begin to rage, when temptation barrels down upon us. These ten footings will give our lives stability. The Ten Commandments are like the fixed points on a compass. When life gets dark and confusing and you can't see around the bend, these ten foundational principles will guide us and protect us and keep us on track. Already we've studied two of God's top ten, the first two commandments, only one God and right worship. This morning we want to take a look at the third commandment. Here's how we could sum it up. Take God seriously. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 7. But before we do, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this morning's Bible study. Again, Father, we thank you for your love for us and we thank you for this day. And now, Lord, as we open our hearts and minds to the Scriptures, to grapple with these truths, to try to understand what you're really saying to us, Lord. Lord, we're eager and we're open. And more importantly, Lord, we not only want to hear this morning, But we want to take things away that we can apply and that we can obey and that will make us more like Jesus and more pleasing to you. So encourage us and help us today, Lord. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, beginning in verse 1, we read, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And then the third commandment that we'll look at today, verse 7. And you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This past week I found a list of some funny, silly, comical names. What do you name a little girl who acts like a tomboy and plays in the dirt? How about Anita Bath? (laughs) What's the perfect name for a southern gourmet cook? How about Barbecue? Here's a good name for a Middle East peace negotiator, Barry D. Hatchett. Did you hear about the advertising executive? His name was Bill Board. Bill Board. 
or the aspiring singer, her name was Carrie Oakey. <laughs> or the home decorator, her name was Chandelier. <laughs> Remember, I've been out a week, so I'm trying to catch up. You, you, you know that. Here's a good name for a funeral director, Doug Graves. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone has heard of the Star Wars fanatic, Jed I. Knight. Or what about the comedian Joe King? Joe King. This summer, my wife wants me to meet a guy named Lon Moore. I'd like to meet the hotel owner, Mary Ott. She's a very hospitable woman. Or the woman who does all the charity work, Marsha Dimes. She's another nice lady. Or did you hear about the woman who kept jaywalking? Misty Meaner, that was her name. And here's a good name for a librarian, Paige Turner. And I think the guy who invented the pinball machine, his name was Rick O'Shea. And wouldn't it be great to read a classic novel by War and Peace? Finally, you know the lady who became a Christian. You know her. Her name was I'm a Believer. Hey, names can be comical. People had a lot of, have a lot of fun with their names. There is a Texas couple who recently named their son Espen. Here's how they spell it. E-S-P-N. E-S-P-N. Can you believe that? How can you do that to a child? I heard that the child's last name was Sports Center. No, just kidding about that, but... It's my understanding that there are at least three people in America who have been given the name ESPN. I also heard of a Michigan couple who wanted to give their son his father's name. He wanted, they wanted him to be a junior, but rather than just put J.R. at the end of his name or, or the second at the end of his name, <laughs> they put 2.0. Now he's version 2.0, Billy 2.0, you know. How can you do that to a kid? Trust me, a man by the name of Sandy learns quickly that you can't treat a name too seriously. Most of us can laugh and joke around about our names. It reminds me of the Indian chief who got tired of his name. It was way too long. He petitioned the court for a change, and the judge asked him, What is your name now? And he said, Chief Screeching Train Whistle. And to what name do you want to shorten it? That's when the chief sort of folded his arms and stuck out his chest, and then he said proudly, Toots. <laughs> From chief screeching train whistle to toots. That's a clever alteration. But understand, God has not petitioned the court for any alterations to his name. Use any of God's precious names flippantly or disrespectfully or hypocritically. And you will insult God. You will degrade God's very nature and His character. The third commandment tells us not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The expression here, in vain, means emptiness or nothingness. Which basically means we should never do anything that would empty God's name of meaning. Or strip God's name of significance. Don't trivialize or marginalize or minimize the name of God. 
put in the positive, the third commandment means that we should take God seriously. We should honor His name and treat Him with reverence. Understand, your name was given to you by people that were in authority over you, namely your parents. The act of naming carries with it a show of authority. Adam had the task of naming all of God's creatures, all of the animals, because God had given to him dominion over nature. Adam named his furry friends, and then Adam in turn named his wife Eve, since God had called him to be head over the woman. Adam named almost everything but God. It was God who named Adam, not Adam who named God. Hey, God named himself. He's the only one who named himself. And in so doing, claimed to be the ultimate authority. And this is why God commands us to honor and respect and reverence his name. The name of God is a show of his authority. But it's also a reflection of his nature. God's handle reveals His holiness. God's name reveals His nature. In Hebrew culture, a name is far more than just a convenient way to address someone. In a sense, you become your name and your name becomes you. A person's name and nature becomes intertwined. An individual's name becomes synonymous for their reputation and their character and the total person. This is why in Bible times, dramatic changes in a person's life often were reflected by new names being adopted. You remember when God affirmed His promise of a son to Abram, God changed the man's name to Abraham, father of many nations. After God blessed Jacob, His name became Israel, or Prince of God. When Levi, the tax collector, left his table and became a follower of Jesus Christ, his name was changed to Matthew which means gift from God. There is a literary device known as a synecdoche. It's when you use a part to stand for a whole. Here's a synecdoche. Let's say I go home today and I say to my wife, Honey, I saw 50 new faces at church this morning. Now, all, certainly all I saw were not just faces. When I said I saw 50 new faces, I really meant 50 whole people. But their faces represented those people. That's a synecdoche. And the name of God is a synecdoche. The names of God are more than just a way to address God. They are reflections and representations of God's flawless and indescribable and impeccable holiness. You see, it's hard for us to really appreciate just how highly the Jews revered God's name. In the Old Testament, there were three primary names for God, each revealing a different dimension of His character. The first name was Elohim. It gets translated in our Bible by the word God. This spoke of God's power to create. He is almighty. Elohim emphasizes His strength. The second name for God is the word Adonai which means Lord or boss or master. And the third name was the name Yahweh, or its anglicized form, Jehovah. And in your Bible, everywhere the word Lord appears in capital letters, it's a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. This was God's covenant name with His people. This was the name that God gave to Israel when she became His wife. It spoke of His mercy, His patience, 
His willingness to keep His promises and forgive these people. God is Elohim, our maker. God is Adonai, our master. And God is Yahweh, our merciful mediator. The name Yahweh was the name that God gave to Moses on the very same mountain where he got the Ten Commandments. At the burning bush, God told Moses to go to Egypt, but Moses wanted to know, who will I tell them sent me? And that's when God replied, tell them, I am that I am has sent you. That phrase, I am, is the present tense form of the verb to be. It speaks of existence, of being, of reality. It ultimately leads to this name, Yahweh. In taking this name, God claimed to be the ultimate reality. The only true self-existent one in the universe. Guys, God has need of nada. He is self-sustaining. He is independent. He has no beginning. He'll have no end. The Bible calls Him the God who was and is and is to come. None of us can say that. No matter how wealthy you are or how powerful you might be, you remain dependent on God for the air you breathe and for your next breath. Far from being the ultimate reality, your life is a vapor. It's just a puff of smoke on a cold winter morning. Reminds me of the scientist who walked up to God and he boasted. He said, God, we can clone people now. We can do all kinds of technological wonders. We don't really need you anymore. God said, well, you know, before you jump the gun, let's have a contest. Let's make a man. The scientist was eager. Great, no problem. And God added, let's make a man like I made the first man. Let's make him from the dust of the ground. The scientist was still confident. He said, great, that's fine. But as the scientist reached down to grab a handful of dirt, God stopped him. He said, whoa there, just a minute. Get your own dirt. (laughs) We all need God. God is the great I am. You and I are the great I ain'ts. The names Elohim and Adonai were names for God that had other alternative uses as well. But the name Yahweh was used exclusively as a name for God. Thus, Yahweh was considered by the Hebrews to be the most holy and sacred of all God's names. This is the thrust of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord, or Yahweh, your God, in vain. Verse 7 goes on to stress the seriousness of the command. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Punishment is promised. In Leviticus chapter 24, we see severe punishment carried out. You remember there a man was stoned to death for profaning God's sacred name. To trifle with the name can be deadly. I hope that the Hebrews who witnessed that stoning that day took God seriously forever after. For centuries, God's name was so revered by the Jews that they were afraid to even speak it. When they read the scriptures and came to the word Yahweh, they would simply bow their heads and nod and say the name. They didn't want to actually say it and be guilty of taking it in vain. In later years, they refused to even write it. And they wrote only the consonants, Y-H-W-H. This Yahweh is referred to by Bible scholars as the Tetragrammaton. What a sad reality, though, that over the years, in writing only the consonants, the Jews eventually forgot the vowels. They forgot the vowels that belonged to the word. And thus the term Yahweh is the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, with the vowels for the name Adonai inserted. 
Because of their desire to keep the third commandment, the Jews lost the name of God. And Yahweh is the best that we can get. There is, though, another name for God that's mentioned in the New Testament. And this is the holiest and the most precious of all God's names. It's the name Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter comments about the name Jesus. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus. As the hymn writer puts it, there is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. The name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. And here is a name for God that couples God's holiness and man's hope. God is Yahweh. He is the great I Am. He is the self-existent one. But Yahweh is salvation. He works to achieve our forgiveness and offers it to us freely. Romans 10 tells us, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the Lord he speaks of is the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who know God, there is no other name more powerful, more wonderful, more precious, more encouraging, more captivating, more stimulating than the name Jesus. And what held true in the Old Testament for the name Yahweh still applies to the name Jesus, but even to a greater degree. The person in Leviticus chapter 24 who blasphemed the name of Yahweh, he died a physical death at the hands of the executioners. But the person who blasphemes the name of Jesus will die not just a physical death, but will die spiritually and eternally. Resist His name, and the punishment will be forever. Guys, this is why all this combines to say to us, take God seriously. And you do that by watching the words and the expletives that exit your mouth. Particularly the words that you speak about God and about the name of God. Words are powerful things, you know. Words shape our world and alter our perceptions and build up or tear down our relationships. In fact, God has chosen to communicate Himself to us through words. James 3, verse 3, speaks of the power of words. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. In a sense, your tongue is nothing more than two, a two-ounce, two, Two-ounce slab of mucous membrane. That's what your tongue is, in a sense. A two-ounce slab of mucous membrane. But in another sense, your tongue is a powerful thing. That, that definition, a two-ounce slab of mucous membrane, that sort of masks the fact that this little limp, wagging, slither of flesh in your mouth can dominate and determine the direction of families and communities. And nations. Reverence and irreverence are cultures that are created by the use of words. Words about God and words towards God 
praise and honor and truth work to establish a culture of reverence. Mockery and blasphemy and unbelief create irreverent cultures. And sad to say, our nation today is without a doubt a culture of irreverence. If ever there was a message for modern ears, it is this one, the third commandment. Our world today needs to take God seriously. And the way to initiate that attitude is to make sure that we never take the name of God in vain. For the sake of your soul, your family, your nation, your future, reverence needs to be a non-negotiable in our lives. I'm not saying we should always act seriously and not have any fun. I'm certainly not saying we should always take life seriously. That'll give you an ulcer. And we shouldn't take ourselves seriously. Certainly, we shouldn't take ourselves seriously. We need to laugh about that. But here is the non-negotiable that God wants you and I to embrace, to embrace in advance. Here is where there should be no compromise. We need to always take God seriously. And this is where our culture errs. For though God gets mentioned almost everywhere, nowhere is He taken seriously. He gets trivialized as the man upstairs. Or He's portrayed as a cigar-smoking old man who looks like George Burns. Or He's blasphemously accused and depicted of carrying on sexual relationships with Mary Magdalene. Or He's reduced to the mystical force responsible for the Big Bang Everybody wants to talk about God today, but never as He really is. As He has revealed Himself in the pages of Scripture and in the history of His people. This wicked world and the spirit of this age, the devil, they work together, together to trivialize God's presence and marginalize God's authority and minimize God's influence. You see, here is the devil's goal in a nutshell. He wants to keep God in our thoughts, but make Him nothing more than an afterthought. Not the God before whom every knee will bow. Not the God before whom every man will stand in judgment. Rather than have us fear and reverence and worship God, Satan wants to neutralize our thoughts of God by emptying our understanding and our appreciation of His name. And this is why the third commandment is so critical for our modern world. Let me suggest that there are three ways that you and I could become guilty of taking the name of God in vain. First is profanity. Second is frivolity. And third is hypocrisy. And with the time I have left, I want to look at each of those potential pitfalls. The first way to take the Lord's name in vain is through profanity. In 1939, Hollywood released the film Gone with the Wind. And the culture was shocked. Moviegoers everywhere gasped at the end of that movie when Clark Gable said those infamous words, Frankly, my dear, I don't give a rip. <laughs> well, he didn't actually say rip. He used the D word. But it was the first time that a profanity had ever been heard on the silver screen. 
Today, there's a sports show that carries the D word in the title of its name. That's how far we've sunk. Today, profanity and blasphemies are everywhere. Television and movies and books and the internet, we're bombarded. Hey, if a visitor to this planet, if a visitor appeared on this planet, someone who'd never been here before, and looked at what was going on, he would think we were so ignorant and so uneducated that we couldn't come up with any creative language. Often we refer to a profanity as an expletive. Webster defines expletive as a syllable, word, or phrase inserted to fill a vacancy in a sentence without adding to the sense. In other words, an expletive is just a filler. When your mind goes blank and you sort of sense an awkwardness in the conversation, rather than fill it with some meaningful expression, our heart erupts with the evil it contains and out pops some dirty, needless verbiage. Jeremiah 17 verse 19 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then Jesus adds, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's what happens. Every human being has sinful attitudes and habits brewing inside. There's rebellion in all of us. And when situations don't go our way, when we get angry and frustrated, when we realize this is not how life was meant to be, rather than admit our sin and the sin of Adam that started it and call out to God for help, it seems that the whole world just gets angry at God and fills in these vacancies by lashing out at Him. Why is it that nobody slams a hammer down on their finger and then screams, Oh, Buddha! <laughs> or Prophet Muhammad! No, they say, Jesus Christ! Or, Oh my God! Or they want God to damn someone. Even Christians will use the expletive, gosh, which is just short for God. Or geez, I hate that word. That's just short for Jesus. That's just a cut off form of Jesus. Or they'll even scream, gosh darn. And I'll let you figure out what that's the abridged version of. Why do we need any expletives? Why cram fillers into the vacancies in our speech? Why not express our thoughts with words that praise and glorify God? You know, recently I've begun using the expletive, oh my. When something happens to me, I'll say, oh my. Hey, usually what I'm upset about was caused by me anyway. It's my mess I'm dealing with. So why not? Oh my. That just reminds me to take responsibility for what I've caused. Obviously, we break the third commandment when we couple the Lord's name with an offensive or an unflattering expletive or use His sacred name itself to vent our anger. How dare us take the precious saving name of Jesus and run it through the mud? Break the third commandment and Satan will squeal with glee. And yet I know people who think nothing of stringing together the words God and damn. They don't even think about what they're saying. They'll even say that to you. You know, that, that's just reflexive for me. I don't, even, I don't even think about that. I don't even know what I'm saying. And perhaps that is their greater crime. That is their greater condemnation. They disgrace God without even giving it a second thought. 
That's the whole point. Don't take the name of God in vain. They certainly don't consider what they're really saying. Why would anyone want to damn another person anyway? The word damn is short for damnation. Do you really want to send a person to hell fire? In eternal damnation? And even if you are that cold and that callous that you would, understand God would never want to damn a human being. God doesn't damn anyone. God doesn't bring damnation on anyone. The only person that can send a person to hell is himself. You send yourself to hell if you reject God's salvation. God loves us. In fact, God died to save us. He paid our penalty. God wants to save us, not damn us. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 asks us the question, Who is he who condemns? It's not Jesus. For it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Rob Schink tells of how he confronted two men on an airplane who were breaking the third commandment. He writes this, After a long speaking itinerary, I boarded a late night flight to return home. I was tired and looking for some rest. Sitting behind me in the airplane were two businessmen whose conversation was peppered with profanity. I finally had it when they began running the Lord's name into the gutter. I raised myself up from my seat and turned so that I was looking down on them from my perch. And then I asked, Are either of you fellows pastors? Well, the one in the aisle seat sort of raised his eyebrows and said, What the, whatever make you think that? Well, Rob answered him, Well, I'm a pastor, and I'm amazed at your communication skills. You just said, God, damn, hell, and Jesus Christ in one sentence. I can't get all of that into a whole sermon. <laughs> he says, they both blushed, and I didn't hear another word for the remainder of the flight. Look carefully at verse 7. Notice it doesn't say, you shall not speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. It doesn't say that. It says, you shall not take. Guys, you shouldn't take it. You shall not take it. That's what he says. Don't put up with it. When you hear someone dragging your precious Lord and Savior's name through the mud, don't just take it. Voice a complaint. Man, say something. You know, when I try to watch a movie that has some redeeming value, not many of them do, but some do, or that has a good moral lesson, yet is sprinkled with a few profanities, and that's always the case, it seems. When I try to do that, my family usually gets upset with me. Because every time I hear the word Jesus or God spoken disrespectfully, I can't just ignore it. I just sort of interrupt the whole movie for everybody, and I just have to voice my disapproval. I just, I just can't take it. I have to say something. Sometimes I walk over and shut down the movie, and that really makes everybody happy. Don't just take it. I coached with a fellow one time who, who would take the Lord's name in vain whenever one of the kids committed an error. And I would always tell him, I'd say, look, buddy, don't blame that error on Jesus. He had nothing to do with it. What that young man probably needs out there is some better coaching. 
If someone approached you and coupled your wife's name, your husband's name with a foul word, would you just ignore it and just move on as if it didn't happen? No way, not if you really love your spouse. And likewise, if you really love Jesus, you won't just take it. You'll speak up for Jesus. Well, one way to take the third commandment, to break the third commandment, is with profanity. But a second way is with frivolity. We need to take God seriously. Therefore, treating God's name in a light and careless manner, speaking it flippantly or too casually, is an affront to who God is as well. Referring to God, as I've said, as the man upstairs or as the big guy in the sky. Does that really do the king of creation justice? Is that really reflective of his holiness? If suddenly the clouds parted and the heavens were peeled back and there before you set God on his throne, just as described in Revelation chapter 4, lightnings and thunders and voices emanating from this throne, rainbow overhead, a glassy sea stretched out before it. Four living creatures hovering over this throne, shouting, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Suddenly you saw that scene before your very eyes. What would you do? Well, trust me, what you wouldn't do is walk up to God, slap Him on the back and say, What's up? <laughs> You're going to hit the deck. You're going to bust some knees. You're going to fall down on your face and worship. That's what you're going to do. Everywhere you turn these days, you'll find frivolous uses of God's name. Stephen Carter writes, There is probably no country in the Western world where people use God's name quite as much or quite as publicly or for quite as many purposes as we Americans do. Athletes thank God after hitting a homer. Or scoring a touchdown. Movie stars, you know, they may have starred in a lewd, filthy film. And they'll walk on stage to accept their Oscar and they'll thank God for it. Rarely do you hear a political speech these days from either party that doesn't close. And may God bless America. You would think that with all the God talk these days, there would be more genuine love for God in obedience to God, in faithfulness for God. But talking about God is not the same as walking with God, is it? Referencing God isn't reverencing God. You'll find violations of the third commandment on the campaign stump and on the baseball field and in the entertainment world. But you know what's sad? You'll also find it at church. Philip Ryken observes, there seems to be so little reverence and awe, so little trembling before God's majesty. Instead, we take God lightly. This happens when we start throwing around religious cliches at church. People shout, praise the Lord and hallelujah and bless God, brother, without really wanting to truly praise God. Without even knowing what the word hallelujah means. With no real concern at all whether God is truly blessed are really praised by what's happening. We probably take God's name in vain during our worship more than at any other time. For with our mouths we verbalize these profound and glorious concepts of God, but with our minds we're already home previewing the World Series action 
or we're planning for the lunch menu or we're plotting out this coming week's activities. There's a disconnect between what we're saying and what we're thinking. We need to take God seriously, both in the workplace and in our worship. Well, the third way to break this third commandment is by hypocrisy. For in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? There are plenty of people who aren't above using the name of Jesus to feign some connection with Him in order to fulfill some ulterior motive. Hey, I'll tell you, dishonest people come to our church all the time asking for a handout, talking about how much they love God, all the while trying to pick the church's pocket. There are crooked businessmen and politicians and even pastors who will lay it on thick, man. They'll sound so spiritual and so godly, then steal you blind. There used to be a popular song entitled, Games People Play. And one of the lines in that song sums it up. In the name of the Lord, they sock it to you. Games people play. Guys, we can take the Lord's name in vain when we talk about how much we love God and want to serve God. Not because we genuinely do, but because there's someone else that we want to impress with our supposed piety and spirituality. Have you ever talked about God? Maybe tossed out some spiritual jargon, even quoted a Bible verse because the buyer you were dealing with was a Christian and you thought that if they perceived you as a Christian, they would be more inclined to give you that bid? What about the politician who stands up and talks about his faith in God and his commitment to God and his adherence to Christianity, knowing full well that he is going to cast his vote to keep abortion legal and to grant homosexuals the status of marriage? I believe that that politician is breaking the third commandment. It's hypocrisy. It's espousing a false allegiance to God just to win votes. In Acts chapter 19, seven Jewish exorcists watched Paul cast out demons. And they heard him command the demons to come out in the name of Jesus. When they heard him invoke Jesus' name, they figured, that's it. (laughs) I mean, that's the secret spell, the name of Jesus. And so they run out, they find a demon-possessed person, and they try out their new incantation. In the name of Jesus! Pop the guy on the head. Well, that's when the demon fired back. Jesus I know. And Paul I know. But who are you? And the man with the demon jumped on the sons of Sceva and beat the living daylights out of them. Just like the bulldogs are going to do to the gators next weekend. These sons of Sceva used the name of Jesus in vain. They invoked Jesus' name without a relationship with Jesus, and they suffered dire consequences as a result. You know, it's scary to think that a person can come to church on Sunday and sing God's praises, then on Monday stump his toe or miss a sail or get stuck in traffic and be guilty of taking the same precious name of God in vain. Beware of hypocrisy. Hey, prayer without practice, creeds without commitment, statements of faith without steps of faith, 
These are hypocritical uses of God's glorious name. There are people who go to church every Sunday and never say a vulgar, vulgar word who will one day be shocked to realize that all the while they have been taking the precious name of their Lord in vain. G. Campbell Morgan once wrote, The blasphemies of the church are infinitely worse than the blasphemies of the street. Guys, here is a non-negotiable for me and you. Here is an issue that we need to settle in advance. Are we willing to say, as for me and my house, we are going to take God seriously? We're going to watch how we use God's name. We're going to be careful of the words we use to God and the attitude we show toward God. We're going to make sure that it's respectful, not profane. That it's sincere, not frivolous. That it's honest, not hypocritical. Guys, I believe that our country today needs a rebirth, a revival of a culture of reverence. Why shouldn't it begin with me? Why shouldn't it begin with you? Father, we thank you for these commandments, the guidance that they bring to our lives, the instruction that it provides. Lord, we don't want to be guilty of breaking this third commandment, of taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. And so help us, Father. Help us be true to you. Help us take you seriously at all times, at church, at home, at work, in the community. Encourage our hearts today, Lord, as we meditate on these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together.